right there. It's a lighthouse. I don't understand. How is it that we've never seen it before? I guess we weren't looking for it. Hello everyone, Matt here and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be looking at episode 605 entitled Lighthouse. This is the 108th episode of the series and there are 13 to go. Before I start, as always, if you would like to share your feedback, you can always say hello to me on Twitter where I'm looking back lost, you can send an email to lookingbackatlost at gmail.com, leave a comment on the webpage, lookingbackatlost.podbean.com, or last but certainly not least, call the listener line 732-707-1815 and leave a message there that can be played on a future podcast. With that, let's now jump straight into the Wikipedia summary for 605 Lighthouse. In the 2004 Flash Sideways timeline, it follows the events of the season premiere LAX, where Jack arrives late to pick up his son David from school. Returning home, Jack is asked by his mother to visit her house and help her find her father's will, leaving David alone. While there, they discuss David, who was quite upset when his grandfather died, but never showed it to Jack. She suggests that perhaps David is terrified of Jack, just as Jack was afraid of his father as a child. Finally, they find the will, but Jack's mother is surprised to see that Claire Littleton is included in it. Jack returns home to find that David has snuck out. Jack goes to David's mother's house, where he learns that David is at an important piano recital. Jack goes to the school where David performs a stunning interpretation of Chopin's Fantasy Impromptu on the piano. Jack also runs into Dogen, another parent at the event, who praises David's skill and believes he has a gift. Afterward, David admits that he didn't tell Jack about the recital for fear of disappointing him. Jack explains his complicated relationship with his father and reassures his son that he can never be a disappointment to him. In the 2007 original timeline, following the events of the episode What Kate Does at the Other's Temple, Hurley is approached by a deceased Jacob who sends Hurley on a mission. Someone is coming to the island, and he and Jack must travel somewhere in order to aid that arrival. Hurley has free reign to complete the mission because he is a candidate and even Dogen cannot stop him. Hurley uses the phrase, you have what it takes to recruit Jack. Along the way, Hurley and Jack encounter Kate, who tells them that she will neither return to the temple nor go with them, but continue her search for Claire. Jack and Hurley eventually pass through the caves, encountering Jack's father's coffin and the Adam and Eve skeletons. Hurley speculates that due to time travel, skeletons could be someone that they know in the present. Jack and Hurley arrive at a lighthouse, at the top of which is a large dial and a series of mirrors lined up. Each notch on the dial has a name listed next to it. 
corresponding to the surnames and numbers seen in the substitute. Crowley begins to move the dial to 108 degrees, as instructed by Jacob, but Jack turns the dial to the 23 mark, where his own surname is listed, revealing Jack's childhood home in the reflection, causing Jack to become extremely upset. He angrily interrogates Hurley, who is unable to answer any of his questions, leading Jack to destroy the mirrors. Outside, Jacob appears to Hurley, congratulating him on bringing Jack to the lighthouse. Hurley realizes that Jacob did not want to send a signal from the lighthouse, but instead needed Jack to see into the mirror and realize that he is important to the island. Jacob also divulges that he needed to get Jack and Hurley away from the temple because someone bad was coming there. At the same time, Jin is rescued by Claire from her trap, taking him and an injured other Justin to her hideout. She treats Jin's leg injury, then threatens to kill Justin, unless he tells her the location of her son Aaron. Justin helplessly says that he has no idea where Aaron is, and the others never kidnapped him. Claire believes the others have her baby because both her father and her friend told her so. Jin informs her that Kate has been raising Aaron off-island. Claire murders Justin, regardless, claiming that he would do the same given the chance. Jin then claims he was lying about Aaron earlier, leading Claire to say that she would have killed Kate if it were true. Later, Claire's friend, who turns out to be the man in black, shows up as Jin and Claire discuss how to return to the temple. With that, let's now get into my thoughts about this really, really good episode. I wouldn't quite call it wonderful, but there's some great pacing, some great story answers, many more story questions, and uh, it was quite a, quite a fun episode to watch. Anyhow, the episode opens with a recap of Missing Papa Christian, Dogen in Charge, Saeed's Growing Darkness, and Crazy Claire's Return. The episode proper opens with an awful photoshopped picture of young Jack, Dad, and Mom. Then we get Jack frantically running into his house to get cleaned up. As he walks around with his shirt off, it's as though it's the first time he notices his abdominal scar. There's kind of this look on his face, as though he has a distinct memory of wondering when that incident occurred. And indeed, he has a subsequent conversation with Mom that shows that Jack is equally fuzzy on the details, um, down to the rather glaring clue that he somehow doesn't remember collapsing in school and having a huge surgery. Uh, this, of course, is not the first time, well, it's the first time in the episode, but it's not the only time in the episode, that is to say, that he's a bit fuzzy on the details of his past, this, of course, being a, a clue that this past is, a, in a certain sense, pastless, that they've all kind of, you know, met there in the constructed reality after their deaths, and that, that time is not as, uh, well, as we know it now. Anyhow, Jack hangs up on Mom, because Jack has something to do, which is quickly revealed to be picking up a boy at school. There's a really smart little moment that the show has, where the angry teen mumbles, Okay, Dad, with just enough diction to be heard, but lack of enough diction for it to kind of be one of those moments that they clearly want you to pause and rewind or to turn to the person next to you. Did he say that? Is, is, you know, did I hear that correctly? This is also point two where I think it's worth noting that the show has a growing divide between the original chronology and the sideways. Um, you know, first there were the little things. Well, I suppose it was big enough that they landed, but it was like, hmm, What's going on with the island? You know, it's underwater. Well, 
they didn't know there was an island when they flew over it, so I guess they wouldn't miss it. Then you throw into it Dr. Ethan Goodwin. All right, you start to kind of do this this backtracking here. Well, how could that be? And then the differences start to increase, increase, increase. Uh, we, of course, don't know some of the big ones, such as uh, Saeed, uh, pardon me, Sawyer being a cop. But um, this is probably the biggest now. And, you know, the fact that Jack has a son, uh, which is now pushing farther into the past where there apparently are these changes. I think that what it's designed to do from a story point of view is to slowly undermine the core fact that we've been told that our heroes, as we know them, landed. Because um, you're starting to say, well, yes, they landed and there was that moment, but you know things are increasingly different here. Um, and, and this is obviously the biggest one. Anyhow, the story moves back to the temple where Dogen has some sort of kind of natural recap exposition about how Sawyer, Kate, and Jin seem to be not coming back. Apparently, no concern for uh, for Aldo and uh, and Justin, who, by the way, I think at various points in my notes I called Jeremy and Albert. So um, I'll try and avoid doing that. Maybe the next time I hit pause on recording, I'll do one of those find and replace things to change all the Jeremys and Alberts into uh, into Justins. But anyhow, Dogen shows no concern for Aldo or Justin, which led me to ask, "Whither the red shirts?" With that. Miles and uh, and Hurley are wrapping up a tropical game of tic-tac-toe, and Hurley decides to wrestle up some chow, which of course is just an excuse for him to get away. Uh, I think the tic-tac-toe was just an excuse to have Miles in the story, albeit briefly. Um, but with Hurley off on his chow mission, he comes across Jacob splash-splashing in the pool. And why is Jacob there? Now, very tellingly, he needs Hurley specifically for Hurley to write down some info because someone is coming to the island and needs help finding it. We'll discover later that that's a lie that Jacob tells uh, in order to get uh, Hurley and Jack away from the temple. But it is also a bit of foreshadowing that someone is coming to the island in the person of, uh, of Desmond before too long. Anyhow, at this point, we just continue with a, a, a delightful start to things. Uh, we get the title card, then Papa Jack with Sonny Boy David. David's all, I hate you, Dad. And Jack's all, take out your earphones and talk about the Red Sox, son. Ah, uh, bliss. Anyhow, despite that's a bit tropey, the writing gets elevated, a, a bit anyway, as David asks for the visit, uh, their visit together, to be something that they can simply get through. And the heart-to-heart picks up paces, Jack's mom calls for him to come over. This is a bit of a story cheat, I think. It's kind of manufactured pace building, but the flip side is it's not too egregious. Um, and if anything else, if 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 at any point in the Flash Sideways, uh, as I said um, with uh, what Kate does, uh, the, the episode, not her <laughs> way of living, um, I'm willing to accept a certain forced nature to the Flash Sideways. Uh, given that they, you know, uh, are, are are forced. If there's a faked air to everything, that's because they are indeed faked. It is not real. It's not reality the way we would the way we would understand it. Anyhow, with that, the sideways is over, and Jack is simply taking in the air at the courtyard, 
until he has a heart-to-heart with Saeed, who gets to show up for a whole scene in this episode. Saeed is curious why everyone is staring at him. He says that, but then says, with some handy recap, that he was told he has an infection and uh, that they tried to drug Saeed, but Jack told them no, then ran away. Thanks, recap. But that's not it. Jack then recaps and says that the drug was poison, that's what's uh, that what's happening uh, to Saeed was happening to someone else. Jack asks who, and Jack just looks off and thinks, because he knows it's he knows it's time for the story to move to Claire, shown in medium shot to establish that she's haggard and dirty and crazy. Uh, with that, the story returns to Jin, and she returns to Jin indeed, gun in one hand, kind of iron rebar in another, and. Though Giacchino kind of spells it out as a tense scene, she just kind of pops him out of the uh, the bear trap there. At this point, Claire rather interestingly says that she doesn't know how long she's been out there. I wondered if perhaps this was just an excuse for Jin to say, We've been gone three years! Um, at this point, Jin tries to walk out on his very torn-up leg and promptly passes out. His lack of consciousness, to me, plays a bit as just a bit lazy. It's lazy storytelling. They wanted to pop back to Claire for only a bit, and then they get their convenient out. Anyhow, from outside to in, it's Hurley wandering around inside the temple. Um, first, you might think he's wandering for food, but then let's not forget he's on this Jacob mission. Uh, he's actually checking the Egyptian symbols on the wall, complete with a uh, very Pausable, you know. It's, I think it's meant to be paused and 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 looked over uh, the writing on, on his arm. That is to say, uh, however, it's very sloppy, which I think also works to, to the credit of they don't want to commit too much to what's there. Anyhow, Hurley gets quickly found out by Dogen. Who else? And Hurley mumbles off an excuse about liking temples and much more. But Hurley, however, quickly finds his nerve with help. What are you doing? Nothing. I'm just, you know, looking because I'm a big fan of temples and like history, Indiana Jones stuff. You shouldn't be here. Go back to the courtyard. Tell them you can do what you want. Tell them you're a candidate. I'm a candidate, and I can do what I want. Who told you that? Doesn't matter. Why don't you go back to the courtyard? You know, I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but the degree to which Hurley's candidateship and near-grooming for leadership in that scene, I find astonishing. At this point, Jacob then reinforces that Jack must come with Hurley, and hence Hurley ambles onto the courtyard for his secretly recruit Jack duty. It's a pretty direct uh, message that he's there to deliver for Jack to follow him to the secret tunnel. Hurley invokes Jacob's message to Jack that you have what it takes, and with that, Jack is, wait for it, Huffy and indignant as to what Jacob meant and where he is, and then Jack gets more huffy to learn that Jacob is both dead and Obi-Wan Kenobi-ish. And suddenly, 
Jack's uh, off to the tunnels, and it ends the act. The break over, we are with Jin, who wakes up with a horrific-looking leg. I had to wonder, are those bandages, or is that just kind of puffy, marked-up skin? I, I think it's the latter. The show doesn't linger, as Jin hobbles, first nearly into dynamite, then turns to visit with the wee babe in the basket, only to discover that it's the vaunted stick baby. That said, tension and pace rule the day as Jin hears Claire returning and quick drops to his sleepy time position. Claire appears with the not-dead Justin and delivers her lines in kind of a wonderfully loopy, hazy sort of way that both conveys being in control of the situation and very much out of it. Justin tries to get Jin to help, and Justin overstates the obvious. She's crazy and will kill them both. With that, we cut to Hurley and Jack under Jacob's orders, and they wander across Kate, who expositions that she's off to find Claire, and Jack expositions that something is wrong with Claire. Everybody at home got that? Everybody on the same page? It's odd how this episode so so easily kind of clunks into, um, I don't know, such direct exposition where they're really spelling things out. Anyhow, moving on, Jack sneeringly tells Hurley that now Kate is invited to the secret Jacob party, despite not being invited, uh, but uh, Kate declines and walks off, leaving Jack a chance to start, uh, or pardon me, to stare into the distance and flash forward to Jack's mom, nice return of that actress, uh, in Dad's office, which looks to be the same office that we've seen in previous seasons, while they look for the will. The scene is largely character shading, I would say. Jack's view of Christian uh, may be David's view of Jack. At this point, Mom, with an, what I'm sure is an unintendedly funny moment, uh, finds the will in the bookcase directly behind the desk at shoulder height in an envelope labeled Last Will and Testament. That sneaky Christian. Mom opens it up and wonders aloud who is Claire Littleton. With that, the sideways is over, and we're back in Claire's hovel, where Justin asks to get helped, but before Jin can decide, Claire returns. Grandma, I'm really sorry you got stuck in my trap. I'm gonna get you all cleaned up now, okay? It's all right, doing good. Well, at least you don't have to stitch yourself up. I had to do that once. They shot me right here. Um, You've been living here since we left? Not always here. I um, had to move around quite a lot to hide from them. Lucky I'm still alive. What are you going to do with him? He's going to tell me where they've got my baby. They've got Aaron. We don't have your kid. You're lying, okay? You're I know crazy. you have we him. We never took you. Shut up. Claire, how do you know they took him? How can you be so sure? How can I be so sure? Okay, well, first my father told me, and then my friend told me, so I'm pretty damn sure. Your friend? Who's your friend? My friend. You're still my friend, aren't you, Jim? 
again, her performance is is nuanced within the broad strokes of Crazy Town. Uh, it occurs to me that that must be a challenge for an actor. You know, it's a fine line to cross where she is truly just bonkers on top of bonkers. Um, not just the darkness that the man in black has, has uh, you know, put her under, uh, but also just the three years uh, of, of, of terrible conditions that she's had to live with. Anyhow, at the conclusion of the scene, she uh, happily patches up Jin, then takes her sharpened axe and tells Justin that it's his turn. This, by the way, is the height of her performance. She's got these steely yet dead eyes, and uh, the tension is, is heightened with those uh, shrieking strings to end the act. After the break, Jack and Hurley wander across Shannon's inhaler, so that's where it was, right outside the caves. Uh, then they go right into those caves, basically so that Hurley has his definitive, hey, look here at this not-forgotten plotline moment. I totally forgot these were in here, man. It is, of course, the return of the Adam and Eve skeletons. Wait a sec. What if we time-traveled again? To, like, dinosaur times. And then we died, and then we got buried here. What if these skeletons are us? What a lovely little misdirect to suggest one thing, but open the door for another. What's that? However, at this point, there's more important business at hand. I'll tell you how I found this place. You were looking for water, right? No. Chasing the ghost of my dead father. <laughs> he led me here. That was his coffin. Before I smashed it to pieces. Why'd you do that? Because he wasn't in it. Is that recap exposition? Well, maybe, but it's done so well. It's a gem given a new shine in the light of the Flash Sideways and the father storyline going on there. And indeed, as we flash sideways, we see Jack is still chasing his father's ghost, metaphorically and, of course, as it'll turn out, literally. In the sideways, Jack finds David not home and waits apparently a really long time to do something about it. Uh, Jack leaves a message for David and thinks that perhaps he's at his mother's house. Now, obviously for first-time viewers, the, the playing along at home question would, at this point would be, who is mom? And I love that this is a mystery that's never answered. It's almost as though it's a dream. You know, in dreams, things don't make sense, uh, but we don't question it. And we see that multiple times in this episode, subtle ways, the appendix, uh, the uh, in a bit, the uh, not knowing how long David has been playing the violin, and then here we have just kind of you know a mother who's who's a mother in name only who's not not present in in the scenario. So just a really nice. The flash sideways are presented so nicely time and time again, where certain things just don't quite jive, and it all supports the notion that it's not real. 
Anyhow, things turn vaguely sleuthy as Jack finds the hidden key, makes his way into the house, and discovers uh, uh, that uh, on David's answering machine there uh, is the invitation to try out for a conservatory. Side note, I had to remind myself that this portion of the story is taking place in 2004 when kids had answering machines and landlines, if you can imagine it. Uh, how time has gone by. Anyhow, the flash sideways are now over, and there's a jungly shot of Hurley in red and Jack in blue walking through the very green forest. Lovely, lovely shot composition there. Hurley notes that this feels very familiar, by which he means very season one. Hurley asks why Jack came, and Jack admits that he was broken and believed, past tense, that the island could fix him. Their jungle chat ends, and they pop out at the lighthouse. Hey, just like the episode title. In fact, they identified as a lighthouse, and then there's sort of a grand pause. And then a quick cut to Claire's axe. We're with her, and there's angry Claire, who's about to chop up Justin uh, once, then twice. Then that's when Jin says that Aaron was taken by Kate. Hey, the same Kate who just left our heroes to go find Claire. See what they're doing? Building suspension, building tension, putting these characters on the same path. Anyhow, nice Claire sobs and reflects, then swings the axe and uh, delivers it to Albert's soft midsection, which causes him to pretty promptly die. It's not like you'd expect, of course, any you know excessive bleeding, crying out, slowly dying for hours. He just kind of pouts and dies. Anyhow, with that, there's a quick return to Jack and Hurley, who force the uh, lighthouse door open, and then enter the lighthouse. But then we get a flash sideways to Jack tiptoeing into David's conservatory audition, uh, which the latter is overwhelmingly successful at. And in fact, Giacchino's music affirms that, along with us seeing Jack's realization that he really does feel love and affection for his son. Wonderfully, at this point, he meets another parent who's present there, and I think it's clearly meant to confuse first-time viewers with nothing more than a little crisscross scene. Or is it? They are too young to have this kind of pressure, aren't they? Yes, yes, they are. It's hard to watch and be unable to help. Your son has a gift. How long has he been playing? I... I don't know. I distinctly remember seeing that scene for the first time and passing it off as just kind of a cute crisscross. But on this rewatch, the line, it's hard to watch and be unable to help, it just screams out the idea that Dogen is, in fact, aware, at least on some level, of what's going on and is desperately trying to help, uh, but can't. And he's still trying to help a little bit by asking the question that he knows that Jack is cannot answer. Now, what do I mean by that? I think the idea looked better in my notes than I just said it. Perhaps Dogen is aware that these people in the Flash Sideways need to find each other but he can't come out and say it for whatever reason, in part because 
they believe they're living their lives. And if somebody came up to you and said, you just need to wake up and find the people you love and you'll go to heaven, you know, it would sound very strange indeed. Um, particularly to Jack, who, as it's mentioned in this episode, needs to find things out for himself. Still, though, there's just kind of this notion that Dogen is trying to say, you know, your boy has a gift, a gift for you, a gift that, you know, isn't his musical ability. It's to help you realize that you don't know a lot of things about your son because he's not real. That's what I take into it. I did look it up quickly in Lostpedia. There wasn't any uh, definitive proof of that. Um, but that's the that's the thread I'm tugging on anyway. With that, flash sideways over. Hurley, out of breath, yuck, yuck. Uh, and Jack, not out of breath, are at the top of the lighthouse. Jack is predictably impatient for Jacob. And Hurley is predictably willing to go with the natural flow of things such as specifically the instructions. Now, for all the mystery fatigue that might be felt at this point in the show, I found that as Hurley turns the mirror and Jack sees snippets of the lighthouse's view, a Buddhist temple, a church, both seeming familiar from previous episodes, uh, the moment feels just kind of epic and very grandiose. Um, There definitely is gas in the mystery tank, to be sure. With that, Jack demands his number, 23, to be seen, and Jack gazes into the mirror to see... It's my house. It's the house I grew up in. Huh. That's weird. I haven't lived in that house since I was a kid. He's been watching us. The whole time, all of us, he's been watching us. Hurley, where's Jacob? I don't know. You said that he would be here. Well, I was just kind of assuming. Hurley, I want to know why he was watching me. I want to know. So you're going to ask him right now. It doesn't work like that, I told you. He just kind of shows up whenever he feels like it. What are you doing? Why was he watching? I don't know. Why is my name written down on this thing? He didn't tell me. What does he want from me? Are we supposed to do What does he want from me? I don't know, Jack! No! As I've said in previous episodes, in last week's episode, The Substitute, the show deserves so much credit for, once again, daring to take the shine off of Jacob and make this godlike island protector seem less godlike. And, you know, perhaps it's only later that it occurs to us that to be less godlike is also to be more human, which I think is certainly part of the the commentary of Jacob, of the man in black, that these are, are men, special men, powerful men, but, you know, human nonetheless. Anyhow, the lighthouse mirror is destroyed by uh, Jack, and his uh, selfish hissy fit, the act ends. Story resumes with selfless Papa Jack giving an attaboy to David. What follows is a genuinely good scene, proof that while the flash sideways may not always offer new mystery, 
they do offer, especially after Jack's mirror smashing, a chance for these characters to reflect upon themselves. See what I did there? But joking aside, the reflection that I think is going on here with Jack, you know, you must keep in mind that David isn't real. So who is Jack talking to? when he says he wants to be a part of his son's life, that his son can't disappoint him. Well, I think that he's actually talking to himself, of course, and it might sound strange to say, but I think there's something kind of touching nonetheless that Jack is, is you know, reaching out to, to fill the hole in his own heart, even though he doesn't know it. Anyhow, sideways over, Jack, pouty Jack, has returned as he stares off into the ocean. Uh, Hurley, at this point, talks to Jacob, the former thinking that he's messed up the entire mission, and the latter affirming that everything that transpired was the plan, that Jack was meant to find out for himself about his importance. Oh, and there's the little addition that both Jack and Hurley needed to be far away from the temple as someone bad is coming. This, of course, is lovely seating, the great temple attack that we have since is coming as first-time viewers but it's a, a reminder that it's it's ever closer with that the story moves back to Jin, who quickly changes his story he lies and says that he lied about kate taking aaron uh and that in fact the baby's the temple and oh by the way claire you can't kill me because i can get you back to the temple claire then at this point seeds uh, the story a bit for herself as well how do we get in there's a secret way no one will see us thank you chin thank you and i'm so glad to know you were lying because if what you said was the truth if kate was raising aaron i'd kill her Am I interrupting? John? That's not John. This is my friend. Hurley indirectly invoked the spirit of season one few scenes ago and i would say that that ending there that's you know full of uh, promise uh, for the direction that the story is going perhaps a tad predictable um it nonetheless is tremendously one and uh, tremendously fun it's very season one and uh and with that the episode is concluded in a in dramatic fashion we of course are not done there's oodles to go through on Lostpedia, which starts by saying that with this episode, Jack becomes the second character to have a flashback episode, a flash-forward episode, and a flash-sideways episode centered solely around him. The first was Kate and what Kate does. This is also the last episode that is solely Jack-centric. It's also the last flash-sideways solely devoted to Jack. Lostpedia also says that the poster in David's room as a concert dated December 19th, which is the anniversary of The Purge. The poster in question is for the band Meat Coat, 
which would have toured with Dryashaft had Liam not refused Charlie, as noted in Moth. Another bit of trivia, the sign for David's recital reads, Welcome all candidates. Also, the yellow folder that Jack's mother pulls out of the bookshelf has Arabic writing on it. Uh, the, word part he re- the word part reads as Yaqub, which is the Arabic version of the name Jacob, and the number part reads 672, which adds up to 15. As we have oh, it's about four bits of trivia left. Uh, Dogen's response in Japanese to Hurley. In response to Hurley's statement that he is a candidate and can do what he wants, the response translates as, you are lucky that you are protected, because if you were not protected, I would cut your head off. Lovely. Also, the discovery of Shannon's inhaler is likely meant to serve as payoff to the Comic-Con 2009 Q&A in which Jorge Garcia approached the microphone and asked what happened to Shannon's inhaler, presuming that Sawyer didn't take it, to which Lindelof and Cuse replied that it was not important enough to answer. And second to last here, Veronica Hamill returns as Margot Shepard, Jack's mother, for the first time since There's No Place Like Home Part 1, a 23-episode absence. And speaking of absences, the skeletons nicknamed Adam and Eve appear for the first time since Season 1's episode, House of the Rising Sun, after a 101-episode break. So certainly quite a, quite a good bit of trivia on which to end, given, uh, well, frankly, given what we have ahead of us. Uh, and looking ahead to next week, next week's episode will be 606 Sundown. In the weeks after that, Dr. Linus, Recon, Abiturno, The Package, and of course many more as we march towards summer. We march towards the end of the, uh, the, end of the series and the end dear friends of this podcast on 815. I'll mention quickly, as I'm uh, starting to wrap things up, that uh, you can hear some of my other podcast adventures by searching iTunes for PH Geek. We are uh, adding things, more and more things, to the uh, PH Geek pop culture podcast, including, uh, before too long, going to uh, a Star Trek convention here in New Jersey, see some of the uh, Deep Space Nine actors and whatnot. Uh, Also, we are slowly moving towards uh, more and more episodes of the S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, looking ahead to next TV season's uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. television show on ABC, which may be called Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., of course, taking place in the Marvel comic book uh, cinematic universe. So there's those things and many more, despite this podcast moving week by week closer to its conclusion. With that, thank you, everyone, as always, for listening. I so very much enjoy how we're able to get together each week and talk a little lost. So take care, everybody. Talk to you again next week for 6.06 Sundown. And bye-bye.